Hello and welcome to A History of Hannibal, episode 73, Housework. The Carthaginian army, under the control of Hasdrubal Gisco and Margot Barker, had been completely obliterated. The Romans had won the Spanish theatre of the war, but things were not yet ready to settle down. There were still conflicts to be resolved, tidying up to be done, and loose ends to be tied up. You see, Scipio was generally quite forgiving with the Spanish tribes. You do, after all, attract more bees with honey than vinegar. Scipio needed their support if the Romans were going to rule Spain, in addition to just conquering it. Not that it was very clear how exactly Roman control of Spain would manifest itself. These would be issues for the future, not for us. There were, nevertheless, some things which needed to be taken care of immediately. When Publius and Gnaeus Scipio were destroyed, they were betrayed by several tribes. Scipio Africanus had dearly wanted revenge from the moment he landed in Spain, but he was in no position to do such things. The Carthaginians were the pressing issue, not the Spanish, and they could be dealt with once peace had been brought. But now that the Carthaginians had been defeated, Scipio could finally deal with these traitors. Of these tribes, two were of note, Iliturgi and Castulo. Castulo had gone over to Carthage following the death of the Scipii, but the worst crime was that of the Iliturgi. They murdered the Roman survivors of the disaster when they fled there for safety. Scipio summoned Marcius, one of his subordinates, and sent him with a third of his force to deal with Castulo, while Scipio made with the other two-thirds to Iliturgi. When they arrived, the gates locked, and the defences readied. Clearly, they knew what was coming. This confirmed their guilt to the Romans. The Romans began their assault, but the townspeople knew what fate would befall them should they lose. With this in mind, they took risks, each man being determined to be bolder than his neighbour, and Scipio began to become rather worried. If this carried on much longer, the Romans would be pushed back, and for an army which had just conquered Spain, that would be pretty embarrassing to say the least, much like Chelsea's start to the 2015-2016 season. Heyo! Scipio ordered that ladders be brought up and scolded his troops. He told them that if they wouldn't attack the town, then he'd just grab the ladders himself. This chastised the men who launched a fresh assault. The walls and the city were taken. What followed can't really be described as a sack. It wasn't done for profit, nothing was taken. This was vengeance. Everyone was killed. Men, women, and children. The city was set alight, and everything was destroyed. It was brutal, even by the standards of the ancient world. Following on from this, Scipio moved to Castulo, a town defended by a mixture of Spaniards and the remnants of the Carthaginian army. These two forces had absolutely nothing in common. Nothing. They realised they couldn't really help each other, and so began to turn on each other. The Spaniards wanted to surrender, the Carthaginians to fight, but the Spaniards formed the majority, and so they captured the Carthaginians and handed them over to Scipio, along with their complete surrender. This did much dilute Roman anger, and so, while the city was still taken, the taking was a lot less brutal than that of Iliturgi. Marcius 
was left with the task of bringing under control the rest of the Spanish tribes, while Scipio himself returned to New Carthage and held games. Aside from trouble with the town of Estapa, the residents of Estapa were loyal to Carthage and despised the Romans passionately, but the town itself was very weakly defended. When Marcius approached the town, he was met by an attack, which caused him off guard, and once it was defeated, he marched into the town, only to find that the townspeople killed each other and destroyed their own city in order to deny the Romans the pleasure of doing it. It's a bit of an odd story, and Marcius seems very confused by the situation. Following that incident, Marcius had very little trouble, and was able to victoriously join Scipio at New Carthage. Attention now turned to Gades, one of the centres of Carthaginian power in which Margot was trying to regroup along with Hanno. Marcius advanced there with a land force, Lilius with a few ships, but at this point, disaster struck. Scipio fell seriously ill. Since Scipio was viewed as something rather close to a god, this was taken far more seriously than it should have been, and the whole country led up in revolt, both the Spanish and the legionaries. The Spanish were a bit annoyed that they hadn't gotten as much out of the war as they wanted, while the legionaries were frustrated with the usual things that soldiers complain about, such as lack of pay, and why they couldn't return to Italy now that the war had finished. The troublemakers were initially hopeful of bringing the military tribunes onto their side, but they would have nothing to do with it. And a mutiny was really underway. It was led by two soldiers, Gaius Albius and Gaius Atreus. They went not only as far as to claim the rank of military tribune, but to go around with the fascis, the symbols of authority which were used by senior magistrates, such as the consuls. You may have wondered just what they were thinking, and it seems that Albius and Atreus had a little plan. They heard a rumour that Scipio was dead, and they were basing all their assumptions on this point. If Scipio was dead, then all of Spain would break out in warfare, and they would be able to extort money from allies and foes, and they would all be rich and powerful, and their actions lost in the general madness, hidden by the crowd. There were lots of problems with this plan, and I mean lots of them, but the biggest one was probably that Scipio wasn't dead. He was very much alive. Albius and Atreus expected formal confirmation of Scipio's death and burial any day, but as time went by and words still didn't arrive, they began to get nervous. Everyone else began to abandon the rebellion, pretending they just got caught up in things, rather than being a ringleader, leaving Albius and Atreus high and dry. Word then finally arrived, confirming that Scipio was fine, and seven military tribunes arrived in camp. The situation could easily have gotten out of hand, but the tribunes handled the situation very well. They did not impose their authority on the situation, but spoke with men they actually knew. They didn't speak with hostility, just in an effort to try and understand what had happened. Why had they rebelled? The tribunes heard the complaints. They said they felt they were justified and promised to take word back to Scipio of their grievances. 
Scipio wasn't sure how to handle the rebellion, and he decided that it would be best to continue with the conciliatory approach. He increased the amount of tribute gathered from the Allies, so he would be able to pay the troops earlier. He told the troops to go to New Carthage to collect their pay. Once word spread that he was alive to the Spanish tribes, who had been causing trouble, they immediately realised that nothing was going to happen and returned to their own territories, leaving the last of the mutineers with no support. The situation was back under control. Once the rebellious army arrived at New Carthage and saw Scipio, strong as ever, they were terrified as he reprimanded them, and heralds announced the names of the ringleaders who were executed. While all this was going on, events were continuing at Cadiz. Margot sent Hanno out with a small force to gather troops, but they ran into Marcius and were easily defeated, and Lilius defeated a small force which was removing traitors from the city, as a small group were planning to hand the city over to the Romans. Lilius assessed the situation, and felt that they would be unable to take Cadiz, and so would just be wasting time, so the two journeyed back to New Carthage. With the Romans moving back, Margot began to think that he could re-establish the Carthaginian position in the Spanish theatre. This feeling was reinforced as the Spanish tribes who recently abandoned their revolt fled up again, expecting punishment from Scipio. This bit of the war just doesn't want to end, does it? Scipio advanced to meet the troublesome tribes, marching north over the Ebro, and then for another four days before coming within sight of the enemy. The Spaniards were camped in a valley, and so Scipio decided to use this to his advantage. He drove cattle, which had been stolen from the Spaniards, into the valley, hoping that they would try and steal them, which they did. The Romans then attacked with the cavalry and broke the Spanish cattle raiders who were trapped by the valley. It was a particularly costly skirmish, which really annoyed the Spanish, who offered battle the next day. If it wasn't clear that these tribesmen did not have great military sophistication from falling into the trap with the cattle, you were sure in for a show. The Spanish decided to deploy in the valley. The valley was very narrow, and so they couldn't fit all their troops in. They put two-thirds of their infantry and their cavalry in the foot of the valley, and put a third of their infantry just sort of standing on the side of a mountain. I wish... I wish I could try and explain the rationale for the decision, but that really makes no sense. It completely negated the use of the cavalry. Cavalry needs space to be efficient and flat ground. Putting them tightly packed in the bottom of a valley was just about the worst place for them to be. As for the infantry just sort of hanging out on the side of a mountain, I... yeah, no idea what that's about. Scipio looked at the Spanish deployment and instantly realised that they had made their cavalry useless, and ensured close quarters combat with little room, which would help the heavier Roman troops. He lined up his infantry against the Spanish in the valley. As for his cavalry, he realised there was no reason to put them in the centre, and there was nothing they could do there. It would only disrupt his own troops really be used to guard his own flanks, the mountains were already doing that. The Spanish troops on the mountain were no threat. It was a really strange deployment. 
So Scipio gave Lilius the command of the cavalry and told him to go round the hills without being seen. Scipio then attacked the Spanish with his infantry, distracting them, so that they didn't notice the cavalry until they were stabbing them in the back. You will not be surprised to learn that Scipio won this battle. Every Spaniard in the valley was killed. All of them. The third that sat on the side of the mountain just sort of watched. As I say, I really don't understand that deployment. The leaders of the revolt realised that this had been a complete disaster and begged for mercy. Scipio gave. I suspect that Scipio wouldn't have done this. You know, let them keep their weapons and have a relatively light peace, not in a bit of a rush. Scipio did not want to be wasting time in Spain. There was Hannibal to deal with, Levich itself. So a peace was agreed, Marcius made for the south of Spain, shortly followed by Scipio, while Solanus returned to Acco. Massinissa had been negotiating a peace settlement with the Romans for some time, and they used this as an opportunity to have full negotiations as he wished to speak with Scipio. Massinissa had a healthy respect from Scipio from a distance, but once he actually met him, this transformed into awe. Scipio was desperate to get Massinissa as an ally, knowing that the Numidian cavalry was the best element of the Carthaginian army. Margo now gave up all hope of conquering Spain, and word came back from Carthage on just what he should do. He was given funds and instructed to take everything from Gades, and he was to reinforce Hannibal in Italy by invading Liguria. This invasion went incredibly smoothly, as it was small enough that it could be done by sea because Carthage had enough ships. Oh, if only Carthage had built the ships. If only... Margot would go sail around the rest of the Mediterranean for a bit, though, so we shall leave him be. I want to quote what happens next from Livy, Book 28, Chapter 38. Such were movements in Spain under the leadership and auspices of Scipio. Scipio now handed over control to the proprietors Lucius Lentulus and Lucius Manlius Acidinius, and returned with ten ships to Rome. At a meeting of the Senate held for him outside of the city in the Temple of Bellona, he gave an account of his Spanish campaigns, detailing the number of pitched battles he fought, of enemy towns captured, and of Spanish peoples forced to acknowledge the dominion of Rome. He reminded the Senate that he had gone to Spain to face four enemy commanders and four victorious Carthaginian armies, and had left not a single Carthaginian soldier in the country. For these services to his country, he could but hope for the honour of a triumph, though he would not persist in asking for it, because everybody knew that up to the present time, nobody who had commanded armies without a regular magistrate had ever celebrated a triumph. So the Senate was dismissed and Scipio entered the city, preceded by his contribution to the treasury of £14,342 weight of silver and a great quantity of silver coins. Lucius Vitruvius Philo then held the consular elections, and all the centuries showed their enthusiastic and unanimous support in naming Publius Cornelius Scipio as consul. Publius Licinius Crassus, the Pontifex Maximus, was returned as his colleague. It is on record that the election drew a greater crowd of people than any other during the war. They had come not only to but to see Scipio, 
and great throngs followed him to his house and attended him to the capital to watch him sacrifice the hundred oxen, which he had vowed to Jupiter while he was in Spain. They promised themselves that Scipio, like Lutatius before him in the First Punic War, should bring any fighting that was still to come to a successful conclusion, and that he should drive the Carthaginians from Italy, as he had driven them from Spain. Indeed, they were already in their thoughts giving Africa as his field of operations, as if the war in Italy were over. Elections for praetors were then held, two men, Spurius Lucretius and Gnaeus Octavius, who were plebeian ediles at the time they were elected, and two others, Gnaeus Servilius Caepio and Lucius Aemilius Pappus, who held no office. It was now the 14th year of the war. Scipio and Crassus, having entered upon the consulship, their respective spheres of action were defined, Brutium falling to Crassus and Sicily to Scipio. End quote. That is where I want to leave things for this week. Before entering the war's endgame, we have one final sphere of activity to catch ourselves up on. Sicily. I now have a bit of a plug to make. I have recently finished my master's degree, which I've spent the better part of the last year working on, and trying to work out just what to do with my life. I had applied for a PhD, but I didn't get the funding, so I've kind of been left in limbo a bit. So what I've decided to do is to have a stab at going professional with my podcasting. Yes, you heard me. Professional podcasting. I'm actually going to try this. So, here's how it's going to work. Hannibal is nearing a close. I've only got a few more episodes to go. I'm sure you'll be very disappointed that this lengthy project will be over soon. It won't be a distant dream of, oh, there's going to be Zama one day. We are going to get there very soon, probably in the next month or so. Um, So that's going to end. So I've decided I need a new project to really get this going. There's Arab Spring, but I don't really want to suddenly start charging for that one halfway through. So what I've decided is that I'm going to launch a new podcast with a membership option. Um, sort of in the model of the British History Podcast, which I'm taking as inspiration. So what I've decided to do is launch my new podcast, A History of the United States. You can find it on iTunes by searching for Jamie Redfern, or A History of the United States, or like American History Podcast, it might show up there. Um, So you can go listen to that. There are currently... Uh, two episodes up. There's a brief pilot episode, which is me explaining for people who don't listen to these shows already, like, who I am. And there is a episode one where we talk about the early voyages to America. We found Florida and look at early voyages, well, early settlements by the English, such as Roanoke. Um, Next week in episode two, we're going to get to Jamestown, and then we'll sort of establish the Jamestown colony, then go back, look at um, Native American culture, uh, like pre-Columbian settlement, and then sort of set up Massachusetts and the other colonial areas in the United States, and, you know, work our way through the uh, colonial period, through the Revolution, the era of good feelings, the Civil War, the Reconstruction, the World Wars, the Cold War, um, and... A whole load of the stuff we're going to get into social history we're going to get into economics so like the great depression just what happened um 
I'm really looking forward into getting into some cultural stuff, uh, like exploring uh, the history of Hollywood. I think that's going to be really cool. The music industry, uh, like blues and uh, sort of like uh, the Detroit, Detroit car industry. We're going to be doing a bit of everything. You can tell that this plug is unscripted because I'm rambling a bit. Um, so that is the plan. And there is also going to be a membership feed which will be if you want to support the show and well if you basically if you want me to keep podcasting then you should go subscribe to that it will be a whole load of extras it'll be the fuller picture which you won't really get if you're just listening to the free a history of the united states feed if you want to support the show if you want to and there will be um more rome stuff i should mention as well, I'm working on a series about the fall of Rome, which will probably be a series of audiobooks, but there will be samples of that on the American membership feed. So if you've enjoyed Hannibal uh, for the past 73-odd episodes and you want me to continue, please support this endeavour. You can go to thehistoryofpodcast.com. You can find on the desktop site, I'm not sure if it works on mobile, a PayPal subscription button. You can click um, a America monthly or yearly option, which will be $5 a month. It's the cost of a cup of coffee, and that will give you at least two membership episodes a month. Uh, two whole episodes of me talking for the, cost, for the cost of a cup of coffee. What a bargain. Who wouldn't want to do that? You should do that. Uh, if you do that, you click the subscribe button, you sign up with PayPal, and you will then receive a notification email from me confirming your order, and I will give you access to the membership feed. The first episode will be out on Wednesday, the 14th of October, and it will talk about the Aztecs. We're going to begin the membership feed by doing a brief history. Well, not a brief history, we're going to be doing a history of the Aztecs. I want to kind of start the membership feed by looking at the Spanish conquest of Mexico, the setting up of Mexico. Um, and it's looking really good, even if I can pronounce the words. So I'm going to stop rambling now because I realised that this was a 17, 18-minute podcast scripted, and I've just spoken for about five minutes now, very rambly, so I'm going to stop. I'm going to just say that you can find out more about the podcast and about the USA feed at either the website, thehistoryofpodcast.com, on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast, on Twitter, at historyjamie, and if you've got any questions, you can just send me an email, thehistoryofpodcast at gmail.com. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>